and I don't know how to fix it. But anyway, well, we're continuing on. We're part seven here, walking with God in company. Now, it's, it's not the way we talk. I get it, and I understand that, and I know that, but I'm just using the language that Henry Scudder uses in this book that we're going through. So last week, we looked at what it is to walk with God alone, or as he puts it, walking with God in solitude, and then walking with God in company. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this week. Now, when he talks about this, he divides his advice into basically three categories. And so he talks about walking, in, walking with God in general among humanity, you know, just out and about, just in, in general company. But then he drills down and distinguishes between being in bad company or being in good company. And I think all those distinctions make sense because we find ourselves in all three of these all the time. We're in just general mixed company. There's believers and unbelievers around us uh, basically everywhere we are. Uh, in your workplace, you deal with people that you work with that are believers and some unbelievers, and you have that mixed company that you're with. And then sometimes it is necessary that we find ourselves away from other believers. Uh, we may be in a situation where we perceive ourselves to be the only believer in the group and everybody else unbelievers and how we should behave ourselves in that situation. And then we find ourselves, hopefully, most often, among believers. And what changes or what, what differences are there in that? And so he gives some good advice here. And again, we're, we just go through uh, some of his recommendations, what he talks about, and various points of Scripture that he points out. And really, most of this just boils down to good sense, just good common biblical Christian sense uh, that Henry Scudder points our attention to. And so we'll begin here with this point number one, walking with God in general company. And he uses the Old or Middle English actually, but the King James English term conversation to deal with our lifestyle both in word and in deed. And so most of the comments that he makes in the book have to do with our speech, but understanding the biblical word, as the King James uses that word conversation, really dealing with our whole lifestyle. So it does definitely deal with what we say, but it deals with how we act as well. So turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. He points out that everything that we do, our whole mindset has to be to keep the glory of God preeminent. And so this makes perfect sense as the whole starting point. If you bring back to your mind all that we've talked about just generally in beginning the day with walking with God, beginning the day with the Lord, you theoretically have already gone through the daily process of examining your own heart. You've, daily, you've already gone through the process of being purposeful and conscientious 
about everything that you plan to do and say. You theoretically have thought through your day and you've prayed for the various circumstances that you're going to find yourself in. All of these things are, are recommendations and things that he's already talked about in the book as to how we're to begin our day with the Lord. And so having begun our day that way, from that perspective, in solitude, you know, you're, you, you wake up, you're alone, you're, you, then you're with your family, but then you leave your front door and you're, you're out among the world, you have already thought through, I want to glorify God today in everything I do and say, because you already have a mindset of walking with God, and so it, it follows to reason that that's the way you're going to behave. And so he references here 1 Timothy 6, verse 1. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Now, he, he didn't reference this verse, but another one that obviously comes to mind is the one that we have at the very beginning of the Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God, to enjoy him forever. 1 Corinthians 10.31 whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, he doesn't reference that, but he referenced this, this one and really points our attention to servants with their masters and we behave ourselves in such a way that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And so as those walking with God, we are in every circumstance of life we find ourselves in, representatives of the God of heaven. We represent him. And so especially as we would rub shoulders with the unconverted, well, we're to behave ourselves in such a way that they would have no cause, they would have no reason at all to blaspheme or to question the name, the power, the authority of our God. And I... I think I put it in quotations here. I have it in my notes. Make sure it's here. It says everything we do should be, quote, a credit to our religion. Right? So you, you claim the name of Christ. Oh, we know many Christians that act a fool and Christians that, that don't behave themselves in such a way that is a credit to their religion, a credit to what it is to be in Christ. And we want to be very careful not to do that. And so to achieve those ends, he emphasizes that our lifestyle must be in four ways, holy, humble, wise, and loving. And so let's start with holy. Turn to 1 Peter 1. Here's kind of the classic passage dealing with the subject of personal holiness. <coughs> 1 Peter 1, look at verse number 15. We read here, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. And so that word conversation, this is the word we're dealing with here in this greater context. It has to do with our lifestyle, everything we do and say. And so here he says, but as he which hath called you is holy. And so that's God. God has called us. He is holy. And so we are to be holy. Verse 16, because it is written. And so a quotation from the Old Testament here, be ye holy, 
for or because I am holy. And so we do what is within our power to promote holiness in our circumstances, in our surroundings, in our situations. Now, we're not always in charge of the situation. We're not always in charge of the conversation. We're not always in charge of the activity. But as much as lies within us, we are to promote what is holy, right, and, and good. And so he specifically here points our attention to our speech. If you're in a situation where there is, he uses the phrase evil speech, but you can imagine what that might be, whether it's at the workplace and, you know, dirty jokes kind of thing or just inappropriate, lewd speaking, that we are to do what is within our power to either put a stop to that or to, if we foresee, head it off at the past and, and, and prevent such things. If it's already begun, definitely we don't add to it, but we do what we can to change that, uh, change the conversation. You know, the classic thing, I guess, is, so how's the weather? Right. But promote holiness in our conversations. The next one he mentions is humility. And when he begins to deal with this aspect of our behavior just in general company, he directly applies the fifth commandment. So, pop quiz, what's the fifth commandment? Honor your father and your mother. But we know from having studied the fifth commandment in some detail several times that honor your father and mother, that specific commandment, goes far beyond just simply a reverence and a submission to bloodline. It's more than obey your mommy and your daddy. The fifth commandment deals with a whole wider breadth of our submission to authority in general. And one of the ways that it's put often is that we all interact in relationships as either superiors, inferiors, or equals. And we find ourselves occupying one of those three roles all the time. There, there are situations where I am the superior. There are situations where I am the inferior. But then there's also situations where I'm among peers and, and just an equal among peers. And it's so important, it's so important that we learn to understand our place. There, I don't think this is overstated to say it this way, but the vast majority of the problems that arise in interpersonal relationships is when someone acts outside their place. When someone who is the inferior acts as if they are the superior, that causes problems. When someone who is supposed to be in charge, supposed to be the superior, neglects their duty and acts as if they are inferior or, or behaves that way, that causes serious problems. Or when really you're, you're just equals in that scenario, but you try to take over and boss people around when you don't have any right to, 
or when you are unnecessarily submissive and roll over and, and, and I don't know how to say this right. Don't fight for yours. Or, I don't know what to say. Don't stand your ground and, and do right with, with what is due to you. I'm not communicating that very well. But that causes problems. I think you understand what I'm talking about. It's so important that we understand our place. Now, he generally applies all of those principles that are inherent in the fifth commandment. And so what he means here in the sense of humility is to give the appropriate honor and respect that we are supposed to give. We don't barge in and we you know, play the Christian card. And because I'm a Christian here, I'm in charge and you don't matter. Or I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to obey you because I'm a Christian and you're not a Christian. So I don't have to do what you say. But he speaks of this in terms of the humility of always preferring others above yourselves, above yourself. Consider others better than yourself. Prefer others before you prefer yourself. And then C, he goes on and that we must be wise. Now, it's interesting, of, of his entire, of all the comments he makes in this whole section on um, how we're to behave ourselves in company, he spends more time on this point than any of the rest of them. Uh, for example, what I just talked about, humble, he deals with in one paragraph. It's about an inch and a half on the page. It's about eight or nine lines of text on the page. When he comes to us being wise, he covers about three and a half pages on how we are to be wise in our dealings. A lot of this will overlap when he comes to walking with God in bad company. Obviously, we need to be wise and have a great deal of wisdom there. But he lays out six individual points here under this point of being wise. And the first one, he says, don't be too open or too reserved. Again, a lot of this stuff is not so much, okay, there's a verse in Scripture that says, thou shalt not be too open or thou shalt not be too reserved. It's not that he points to black and white texts of Scripture that are explaining and expounding all these things, really what he's pointing our attention to is just good Christian common sense, like I, I told you earlier. And, and also, I hate to keep going back to this over and over, but I think it's important for us to understand and, and always keep this in perspective. What I talked about several weeks ago on the issue of what we call casuistry, the application of the law, how to apply biblical principles to real life. And some make the mistake that here's a biblical principle, and so every single time there's a situation of any similarity at all, I have to apply it directly the same way every single time. That's not necessarily the case. Circumstances change in such a way that we might not apply a biblical principle the exact same way here as we apply the biblical principle the exact same way there. I think for us parents, we can understand and illustrate it in the sense of 
we we don't we we shouldn't deal with a five-year-old the same way you deal with your 19-year-old. You don't you don't necessarily deal with each of your children in the exact same way because they have different personalities, they have different needs, they have different circumstances. And so with all of these things that we've talked about, we want to be careful not to read these things or, or take these recommendations that he's talking about in, in a sense of unnecessary bondage. And so I think that applies here to all these things. But he makes good points of the wisdom that we need to have when we deal with other people, not to be a blabbermouth, too open, everybody knows all your business, but at the same time, not too secretive and weird and like, I don't know, I can't ever find out anything about this person because they never talk about anything. They're, they're always so secretive. I know people of both errors, you know, they're on both sides of that and neither one is appropriate. The second one, he talks about doing your best to relate to other people. Turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The Apostle Paul speaks this way uh, in his dealings with people in the church. 1 Corinthians 9. Look at verse number 19. He says, For though I be free from all men, Yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law is under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law of Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Now these are some verses that I think give some people some, some struggle because it, it sounds like Paul is saying, I'm kind of wishy-washy. I kind of just blend into the moment and I just kind of, you know, I kind of do what's right in the moment and, you know, someone could read this and come away with, well, Paul, you don't have any standards. You don't have any morals. You don't have any, you don't have any strong convictions because if you act this way among this group of people and then you act some completely different way among this group of people, well, that's not good. That, I mean, that in our ears kind of reeks of hypocrisy, does it not? Shouldn't you, shouldn't you just always be the same? Well, the answer to that is, well, yeah. You should always be the same with your values, morals, and convictions. But that's not at all what Paul is talking about here. What Paul is talking about is that in different groups that he found himself in, he was able to relate to those people where they were and deal with them where they were for the sake of the gospel, to win them to Christ and to, and to, 
to teach them, to bring them along spiritually in the things of the Lord. This could be a, an entire, oh, whole, huge Sunday school lesson just completely on its own. Paul is not saying here that when you're around spiritual people, act spiritual, and when you're around ungodly people, then act ungodly. He's not talking about that at all. I was trying to think of some, some good ways to illustrate this without just being so pejorative and, um, and petty with it. But I think the best way I can illustrate it is with something that I, th I think we can all relate to. You all know that there are some in the body of Christ that have different standards of dress than, than we would have, than the vast majority of us would have. There are some, our, our family was talking about some people just recently, they believe it is a sin, like they honestly believe it's sinful for a woman to wear pants. A woman will always wear a dress or skirt, and it's inappropriate, sinful, wrong. A woman should never wear that which pertaineth to a man. That, that's using their language and, and their interpretation of Scripture. Now, we look at a situation like that. I, 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 think, I think I know you all well enough to know Look at a situation like that. And we would see that as a weak understanding of Christian liberty. We would look at Romans 14, and we would see that as a situation of meat offered to idols. Paul says, I'm, you know, idols are no big deal. I eat meat offered to idols. But if I'm around somebody that has a conscience about that, and they won't eat meat offered to idols, I'm not going to throw that in their face. I'm not going to say, ha ha, look at this meat I've got. He's not going to act that way. Paul says, I'm going to abstain from that. Not that my conscience won't let me eat this, but I'm not going to unnecessarily offend my brother by, by throwing my liberty in his face. And so I'm going to refrain from that and I'm going to, to do this. So if you have friends that that believe that, then how should your family operate in their presence? Now, this is something that is, is real life. For Lydia and me, we've had these situations. And when we're with those people, Lydia doesn't wear pants. If we know those people are coming to our home, Lydia doesn't wear pants. Now, is she being hypocritical? No. What she's doing is she's showing deference to these people, right? She, she's, she's entering into them where they are. Now, these are believers. We're, we're not talking about unbelievers. These are believers. What he's not saying, and this is stupid to even bring this up because you know this, but what he's not saying is, well, when you're with ungodly people and they're drinking Bud Light, well, then you need to drink Bud Light. Like You need to enter in and you need to relate to them where they are. Is Bud Light not the right thing? Coors? I don't know what it is. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying. You, you relate to people where they are, not in a way of sin, 
but in a way to reach them for the gospel. This could be a whole lesson. I'm kind of rambling on with, with some of the illustrations here, but I think you get the point there. Three, mind your own business. Don't meddle into other people's affairs that don't concern you. Number four, know when to be silent or know when to speak and know when to be silent. And so here he references, for example, Proverbs 10, 19, in the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. Sometimes it's okay to say nothing. It's like Facebook. Sometimes it's okay to just keep scrolling. You don't have to respond to every comment you don't disagree or you disagree with. You can just forget it. Just scroll past it and go on to the next thing. Scudder balances this though with a truth from Proverbs fifteen twenty three, and that is a word spoken in due season. How good it is, and. Here, this obviously falls under the category of our need for wisdom because there are times when it's best to say nothing. It's the wisest thing just to not speak at all. But other times, it's the best thing to have a word in season. And it takes great wisdom. And this, again, this all presupposes Everything that he has talked about so far of walking with God from the very beginning of the day. You've already prayed that the Lord would give you opportunity to speak for Christ. You've already prayed that the Lord would give you wisdom in the situations that you find yourself in. And so this all just builds on itself of a whole day of walking with the Lord. Five, don't talk about yourself too much, but be concerned about others. And then the sixth point he makes here under wisdom is to be discerning about what you see and hear. Now, uh, turn to Matthew 7. This will be a verse here for us to look at. Matthew 7. Now, it's interesting, the reference here, because Matthew 7, 1 is every unbeliever's favorite verse. Judge not that you be not judged. So don't judge me. All right, judge not. So, interestingly, that's every unbeliever's favorite verse. But what they forget is that in the same chapter, in the same sermon, Christ tells us that we do need to be judgmental as believers. We do need to be judgmental in the sense of discerning. And so look at chapter 7, verse 15. He says, Here beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Now the context here is that of false prophets. But the truths and the principles that apply here deal with everybody that we deal with. How can you judge another person? We can't see their heart. 
I can't see your heart. You can't see my heart. All I can see is evidence of what's in your heart. That's all I can see. And that's all you can see. And the only way that we can make any discerning judgment on people that we come in contact with is by their fruits. By their fruits. <laughs> we had a situation about a week ago. Um, it was, you guys were gone. It was me, Maggie, Hudson, and where were you two? I don't know. We were at Five Guys anyway. It was Lydia, me, Maggie, and Machen. We were at Five Guys. We were eating dinner. And this couple walked in. And there was just something about them. We never said a word to them. But Maggie, I think Maggie was the one who said, I bet those those two go to church. And Lydia and I both agreed, yeah, you're probably right. And, I mean, we, we nailed them. Well, when we left, we saw the car that they had gotten out of. And when we left, sure enough, the back window of their car was a, a sticker of a, a church here in town. It was, like, it was pretty obvious. But we didn't even talk to them, but it was obvious. Well... We find ourselves in different situations. You meet a new person. You're in a group and, you know, you size somebody up. And you rejoice when you see good in others. And you're grieved when you see bad in others. And you evaluate people's character. And it's right to be discerning when we come in contact with other people. And then the last one is loving. Basically, be kind and courteous to everybody. Titus 3.2, speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. And then Galatians 6.10, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. And so we're very careful not to speak evil of other people. He gives some exceptions here. Um, when sometimes it is necessary for us to speak evil of another person. We're not speaking evil of them in the sense of we're speaking anything of malice, and it's not gossip, but we're speaking the truth about what we have discerned from another's character. And there are times when that is necessary. But we'll move on from there. We're running out of time here. Point number two, walking with God in bad company. And his first recommendation here is to avoid it if at all possible. Don't be around ungodly people. Just don't do it. If you can avoid it, don't do it. But we understand that there are times when it is completely unavoidable. And so in those situations, he gives three things here. First one, or B in your notes, but uh, if you can't avoid bad company, then first of all, be honest. And what he means here is when you know you're among unbelievers, be honest with yourself and be honest with yourself about yourself, but also about what you see. 
Be honest with yourself about your own weaknesses, your own propensities to sin, your own propensities to go the very way that these ungodly that you're with are going. Be honest with yourself. Don't, well, there's a verse in Romans, be not high-minded, but fear. So this overlaps with what we see here in D of, of being careful. But be honest with yourself, knowing your own propensities. But then also be honest with what you see in others. Don't sugarcoat their sin as, oh, it's not that bad, and it's probably not going to affect me. No, you, you can't really deal with pigs without getting mud on you. You, you, can't, you can't be among muck and mire without getting it on you. And be honest and understand the situation that you're in. And I started to swipe my paper. Paper doesn't swipe. I swipe my tablet. Be wise. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 tells us that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so be careful not to let their sinful influence influence you. And really everything he said about wisdom before applies here, especially when we're among unbelievers to be wise and to be discerning. And then, like I say, there's a lot of overlap with this last one that he, he points out, and that is simply to be careful, to pay attention, and be vexed by their sin, not to admire their sin. Realize that but for the grace of God, you would be in the exact same sinful lifestyle that they're in. And it's only the Lord's grace that has opened your eyes to sin, opened your eyes to uh, a path of holiness and a desire to walk with God. And then quickly here to finish up, walking with God in good company. Here he makes the point specifically to cherish that. Uh, so with bad company, avoid it. With good company, cherish it. Long for it. Plan for it. Seek it. We all need good and godly companions. And so if you remember last week when we were looking at walking with God alone, his first recommendation about walking with God alone was don't be alone because God has created us for companionship and for relationship, primarily relationship with him, but also relationship with our fellow man. And we looked at the very beginning of the Bible. God saw Adam, that he was alone, and he said, that's not good. He didn't have a helper meet for him. And so God created one. God made a helper for Adam. And the same for us. We need that companionship. And so I put in your notes here just to use a reference from Pilgrim's Progress. Every Christian needs a faithful, and every faithful needs a Christian. We need that companionship in life to help us along our journey toward the Lord. Be expressed brotherly love to one another. Uh, Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25 says, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Now, that word provoke, as it's used here, it does mean what you think it means. It means to prod and to push someone along to good works. 
Right? We as, as fathers, we are not to provoke our children to wrath. We're not supposed to do things to our children that purposefully anger and upset them and drive them to losing their temper or drive them to sin or drive them to anger. We're not to do those things. It's the same word used here. Among our Christian friends, we are to do things that drive them toward holiness. Almost like a sheepdog would gather a herd and, and push it toward a certain place. We are to be that kind of influence to one another to provoke each other unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling ourselves together as the manner of some is. And so this applies obviously on the Lord's day. This is the primary gathering of the Lord's people. We don't forsake that. But I think this goes even broader into a broader range of Christian fellowship, purposefully organizing times where we are together to redeem the time, to uh, make the best use of time among Christian friends, to bear one another's burdens, to encourage one another as we seek to live godly in this world. And then the last one, we'll finish up here, and that is to be humble and lowly-minded. And so Romans 12, verse 3, he says, For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And what he says here about humility, we can bring in what he's already said about humility in just general company, that we understand our place. We, we treat others better than ourselves. We give deference to other people. And especially in Christian communities, uh, in, in Christian friendship, don't be quick to rule over and to instruct others. Be willing to learn from others, even as you think someone is a you know, lower rank than you or someone doesn't know as much as you or you've been a Christian way longer than this other person has been. But the Lord may have taught them lessons of grace that you haven't learned yet yourself and be humble enough to listen to those things. And so he wraps up with that basically of what it is to walk with God in company. Next week, we come to another section, um, two opposites. Uh, we might deal with all of them just together, but he's going to deal next with what it is to walk with God in prosperity and what it is to walk with God in adversity. And so some good instruction for us there too. But let's close in prayer for now. Our Father, we do thank you that in your word, you have spoken to us in such a way not to complicate things, not to drive us to despair or confusion, but in so many places you have spoken to us in ways that are plain and helpful to us in our walk with you. And we pray that we would consider and take up these admonitions that Henry Scudder has mentioned in this particular book, that we would seek to be wise in our walk with you and as we deal with other people that 
We would have words of grace seasoned with salt, that we would have a desire to display a holiness of life, a holiness of conversation, that you would give us greater love one for another, and that in all we do and say, we would point others to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Bless us as we go into the worship service here in a few moments. We pray for Pastor Kimbrough as he preaches that you would undertake for him. We pray that you would draw our hearts out after Christ and bless our singing, bless the Bible reading, praying, every aspect of our service. We pray, for, we pray that it would be for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.